0: I love that song, the line that we ended with: "I count it joy come every battle, whatever the battle may be, for I know that's where you'll be, God." And you might be facing battles this morning that, like you, only know about. You haven't told anybody. Maybe you don't even fully understand. And if that's the battle you're facing today. I just want you to know that I'm praying for you, we're praying for you. We're praying that God meets you in his mercy and with his strength and with his peace. There are battles that that we fight without others knowing about it. And then there are what I would call shared battles. Battles that by virtue of us living in community and living in a society that we're, we're all a part of in some way or another. And these shared battles... particularly particularly today, in 2020, in the political and cultural realm. There are battles that never seem uh, to to, to end. They only seem to escalate. The us versus them, the polarization, the incivility, and it's all of that that we're talking about today. I think we all know that, that it's a problem. I think we all wish there was a solution, that it would just snap, and be fixed. I don't think any of you are sitting at home right now where you're just loving the constant fighting. It feels all-encompassing. You might be trying to avoid it, but you simply can't. So then you say, well, do I engage? If I do, how do I engage? Who do I talk to? Who do I not talk to? Should I post on social media? Eh, Maybe not. And oftentimes, I think this is what can be hardest, we don't even know what or who to believe and trust. It's really challenging right now. And so with all the confusion around us, is there a way that God might cut through and speak to us and encourage us? I believe the answer to that question is yes. I do believe that there is more to the story, that it's possible in this uncivil culture to find hope and to be a light. And to do that, We're going to go right to the source, Jesus himself. There's this scene in John chapter 18 where Jesus comes face to face with the embodiment of political power and authority of his day. The Roman governor, you probably have heard his name before, Pontius Pilate. And this is the same Pontius Pilate that if you're a believer in Jesus, you've probably professed one of our creeds where you said that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was governor over the area of of Judea where Jesus uh, had his ministry. And in John chapter 18, we're in Holy Week, sometime either late on Thursday, early Friday, and Jesus has been arrested He's been betrayed, and here he is in front of the Roman governor, delivered up by the Jewish leaders as they seek to get him crucified. And it's Jesus and Pilate. John chapter 18, starting in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? That's what's been claimed about him. Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus responds, he answers, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is saying that there's more to the story, that his kingdom is not of this world and notice how Jesus flips the, 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 the possessive pronoun where, where Pilate says, your own nation, your chief priests. And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. I am a king, but it is fundamentally different than anything you or the Romans or the Jews are accustomed to. And what's his proof? Verse 36, Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world... My servants would have been fighting. We're pretty used to fighting right now, right? That I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Here's what Jesus is saying. He says, look at my followers. If if I was looking to set up a political regime, if this was a coup, they wouldn't have let me be delivered over to the Jews. But instead, Jesus saying, my kingdom is not of this world, because his followers are nowhere to be found. In fact, earlier in this chapter, as Jesus is getting arrested, Peter, one of Jesus' followers, pulls out a sword and slices off the ear of the high priest's servant. And rather than celebrating this and encouraging this as an act of defense and moving the movement forward, Jesus instead rebukes Peter. And he says, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given to me? This episode with Pilate is hours before Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. A few verses later, the conversation continues. Pilate entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Pilate saying, Do you not know Jesus who's in charge right now? And I'm just imagining the scene. Jesus flogged and beaten and Pilate in all of his majesty and governmental authority. Verse 11, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Do you see this confrontation The embodiment of the world's political power. And Jesus saying, whatever authority you think you have, whatever authority that you think you have over me, you would not have that unless it was given to you from above. And this from above is not some unknowable God of the sun or God of the sea or impersonal universe. No, it is the one true living God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who revealed himself to Moses. The God who appointed King David. And now, in Pilate's view, the God who is taken on flesh in the person of Jesus. Now here's something that's crazy. These are the very last words of Jesus before the cross the next words, if you had a red letter Bible in front of you, the next words out of Jesus' mouth would be him on the cross saying, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. I thirst and it is finished. Here's what I think is happening. The distinction cannot be more pronounced. There's this conversation, this confrontation between Jesus and Pilate About these two kingdoms, Jesus is identifying himself as above the highest authority known to this earthly realm. And in the very next scene, he's laying his life down, beaten, mocked, alone, isolated. Because in Jesus' authority, He lays his life down for the sake of the mission. The mission out of love for you and commitment and obedience to the Father. I don't know about you, but what that does for me is it just leads me to a place of of worship. I know we're talking about incivility and the chaos around us, but man, maybe we just need to take a moment and say, Jesus, Wow. We're in awe of what you've done for us to lead us into life with you. Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world. And because of what Jesus has done for us, here's where you and I come in. Colossians chapter one. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. And guess what? You and I are a part of it. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to a different kingdom. It's who you are. It's your identity. It's your birthright. And this is all over the place in the scriptures. You're in the world, but you're not of it. Paul says your citizenship is in heaven. Peter says you're but a stranger and an alien, a sojourner and an exile. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to his kingdom that is not of this world. And so before we get to talking about how we deal with the chaos around us, we're going to start with your identity. We're going to start by saying this is who you are. It comes before expectations, impositions, calls to actions, things you should be doing, things you should not be doing. And here's why it's important, is there is so much competing for your identity and for your ultimate allegiance right now. And Jesus would want you to know today that your identity in him trumps it all when others are saying, pick a side, us versus them, Jesus is saying, do I have your ultimate allegiance? Do you belong to this kingdom identity? And God is calling you to embrace it this morning, that who I am in Jesus is the most important thing about me. And so what does that look like? What are markers of God's kingdom people? What does it look like to be civil and loving in an uncivil time? I'm sure there are hundreds of things that could be said and all true, but there are two things that really stood out to me this week that I want to encourage you in. The first is love, and the second is trust. Pretty easy, right? Love and trust. First, Love, John 13. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think it's pretty easy for us to love people who are similar to us. It is much more challenging to love those who don't look like you, who don't think like you, and who don't vote like you. And here's what Jesus does. This is a new commandment that he's giving to his disciples. And he doesn't place any conditions on the love that they are to show to one another. In fact, this group of disciples he's talking to come from every political stripe of the day. There's Matthew the tax collector, and what tax collectors did is they they were uh, in cahoots with the Roman government in order to abuse their people. And then there were Simon the Zealot, and the Zealots wanted to establish a Jewish reign you think Simon and Matthew would have gotten along? And here's what Jesus is saying, is that when we're able to set aside these other identities, these other things that are fighting for it, he wants to make the emphatic point that the only way that this unlikely crew could come together and be unified is if they own this not of this world kingdom, if they own that identity. As it regards those who disagree with us, our culture is pretty darn deficient in kindness, in empathy, in giving the benefit of the doubt. And these words of Jesus to us, it starts in the church, but then it overflows into the world of loving as Jesus has loved us. Notice that qualifier. How has Jesus loved us? He's laid his very life down for us. He's extended compassion well beyond when we deserved it. He's shown us mercy upon mercy that each day when we wake up, his mercies are new. And so you and I are called to love one another and especially those that we disagree with boldly. And radically, you know, James tells us that we are to be slow to speak, we're quick to listen, and slow to anger. And I'm sure that was a problem in the first century, but as I was reading that this week, I'm like, man, I feel like James is writing that to us. Because our cultural temptation to do the exact opposite is to be quick to speak my mind, quick to share my opinion, I'm not going to give anyone the light of day who might disagree with me that I would listen to them. And slow to become angry. No, our culture gets angry so quickly, fueled by anger and outrage. And our kingdom identity in Jesus gives us permission to say, no, world, there's more to the story. I'm going to tap in to Christ-like love for my neighbor, whatever they think or believe. So the first is love, and the second is trust. I want to introduce a new word to you. It's a new word because it's a word that I made up this week. And it's the word catastrophization. Catastrophization, which is essentially the process of making things catastrophes. And here's the thing. I see this on both sides. When I hear things, people say, things have never been worse. The stakes have never been higher. Imagine how terrible things will be if this outcome happens, whatever this means to various political stripes. What it's doing to us is it's catastrophizing events. It's catastrophizing the moment. And catastrophic thinking always preys on your fear. It amplifies the worst of what you're afraid of. But you, Christian, kingdom identity, one who belongs to Jesus of this, not of this world kingdom, that's not who you are. Christ's perfect love casts out all fear the kingdom that you belong to. Just as Jesus places no conditions or exceptions on us loving one another, God places no conditions or exceptions on his sovereign, fatherly, and loving care for his creation. Now you might say, Tyler, don't you see what's going on? Don't you care? This is big stuff right now. And I would say, yes, of course I care. I follow this stuff. I'm in prayer. But my identity as a kingdom person precludes me from giving in to catastrophic thinking. Even among the worst injustices and wrongs, and man, there are a lot right now. I want you to say that you can care without losing your composure. There's a verse in 2 Timothy 1 that says, We have not been given a spirit of fear. We have not been given a spirit to catastrophize, but instead we've been given a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Some translations say a sober mind. And I think that language is is kind of intentional, that we might not be inebriated under the influence of this catastrophic thinking that's preying on our fear, but rather we can say, I am trusting in the Father's love and care for me. There is no expiration date on the promises of God. Jesus is returning to make all things new. His Spirit is working in the church and in the world. And yes, He is working all things for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Last week, I had the chance to sit in a seminar with a few black pastors that were sharing uh, some of their justice initiatives. And I, I, was, I was blown away at how, how committed they were to the cause. They've been doing this for years, how much they cared, but then how grounded they were. You could tell they loved Jesus. They believed in his promises. And it's possible for us to care without losing our composure. And so we trust God. We trust his word. And what if we're two months out from the election, right? What if you and I made a commitment right now to say that whatever the outcome, whoever is president, whoever has control of the Senate, whoever is control of the House of Representatives, whatever happens in our state of Nebraska, that we make the commitment now that we're going to pray for our leaders, that we're going to heed what Scripture says and pray for the leaders that God in his sovereignty has set over us for this, such a time as this. And when I say pray, I don't mean like praying blessing and favor and prosperity over the ones that we agree with and vote for and then praying judgment and demise and ruin over the ones we don't vote for. No. I mean, as a kingdom person, we can pray for wisdom. We can pray for discernment. We can pray for teamwork. We can pray for unity. We can pray for peace. We can pray for the ending of wars. We can pray for prosperity. And so as you trust in the Father's care, in the Father's plan, in his redemptive purposes we can de-catastrophize. We can say we can care. We're not going to lose our composure. I was thinking this week, it's always helpful to, to take a step back and to consider what are the things that we can control and what are the things that we can't. Because there's a lot of things right now that we can't control. We can't control whether things will get better before they get worse. We can't control what other, ch- what other people tweet or post. We can't control what politicians or campaigns say. But there's a lot that we can control in this moment. You can control whether you're turning off the TV or closing out of your social media app. You can control where your time goes. You can control who you're surrounding yourself with and just, just aside on this, if there are people in your life that are discouraging your kingdom identity in Jesus, man, you don't have to indulge that. Surround yourself with people that are gonna spur you forward in who Jesus has called you to be. And here's something you absolutely can control. We've been talking about it for the last few weeks, but next week we are kicking off the Being Challenge. Six weeks. Of saying, we're going to invest in the habits that Jesus himself participated in, all in the effort that we might be and look and think more like Jesus. That we would love like Jesus, we would trust like Jesus. So, something you can control is you can participate. Do the devotionals, do the challenges, tune in on Sundays, join us live on Sundays, whatever is best for you. You can control your prayer time. You can control your Bible time. And here's the thing. I believe that this kingdom of God that Jesus talks about as as a small mustard seed that gets planted and then grows into this giant flourishing tree. I believe that this kingdom of God cannot be stopped. But it moves through self-sacrificial love and trust and humility. And so what does it look like this week for you to say, I'm going to be kind. I want to extend empathy. I want to be loving. I want to be trusting in the Father's care. It all comes, comes back to your kingdom identity, who you are in Jesus, because it's who he's called you to be. Amen.